Hi, and welcome to Seeking the Gospel Truth. I'm Gisela Aguiar. Come walk with me through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ as told by Mark in his gospel. We'll journey with the Savior to the cross and celebrate the good news of his true salvation. I pray that as you hear God's word, it will inspire you to study the Bible daily for yourself. Seek the truth. I pray that God opens your heart, eyes, and mind to understand what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell you. And as you become rooted in the word, you'll also be rooted in faith, hope, joy, and peace. And the world can use more of that right now, don't you think? Let's dig in. Mark chapter 8, verses 22 to 38. Blinded by the world? Here's what you need to know about Jesus. In today's gospel message, we learn the answers to several questions. Who is Jesus? Who do people say he is? Who do the disciples say that he is? What's going to happen to him? What was his mission? And finally, what does it cost to be a Christian, a true follower of Jesus? Let's dig in. Mark chapter 8. Oh, before, okay, before we start. When we last left Jesus and company, he just finished telling the Pharisees how blind they were and scolding the disciples for not understanding what he was all about. So here Jesus opens the eyes of the blind in more ways than one. So Jesus heals a blind man. We're in verse 22. When they arrived at Bethsaida, some people brought a blind man to Jesus, and they begged him to touch the man and heal him. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. Then, spitting on the man's eyes, he laid his hands on him and asked, Can you see anything now? The man looked around. Yes, he said, I see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. Then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. His sight was completely restored, and he could see everything clearly. Jesus sent him away, saying, don't go back into the village on your way home. Peter's declaration about Jesus, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you're one of the prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah. But Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Jesus predicts his death. Verse 31. Then Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things, and be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but three days later, he would rise from the dead. As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples and reprimanded Peter. Get away from me, Satan, he says. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he says, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. 
But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, sounds like today, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That was Mark, uh, that was the end of Mark chapter 8. So let's unpack this. In total, in the gospel stories, Jesus opened the blind eyes of seven people, each one differently. He works differently with different people. No two people have the same experience when they start a personal relationship with Jesus. In this case, he took the man away from the insincere people. In Matthew 23, he called the Pharisees, whom he rebuked in yesterday's passages, blind guides. Imagine being led by a blind guide. Where do you think the phrase, the blind leading the blind, came from? If you are blind and you're following a guide who is also blind, you both are going to end up in a ditch. That's not a good outcome. Open your eyes. Ask Jesus to open them for you. Ask him to help you understand it all. Guess what? He will. I think the men had cataracts. If they are really bad, you are blind. I had them a few years ago, and I was seeing things in a fog, very blurry. Um, had I let them go, I'd be blind today. Praise God, I was able to get to the right eye doctor and have surgery. Pastor Sandy Adams comments this passage, um, and I quote, And this is a picture of our salvation. Before I knew Jesus, my spiritual eyes were blind to the things of God. Yet when I repented of my sin and trusted Jesus, he opened my eyes to his light. I could see, not with the sharpest, clearest definition, but at least I could see. Since then, I've grown in my discernment. My sight continues to improve. In fact, the day is coming when I'll have perfect sight. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul writes, quote, now, I'm quoting a quote. Now we see things perfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. <clears throat> the Christian life is a sight-giving process. And this is where our faith gets tested. It's not faith if you can see all the details. Today, I know God. I'm no longer blind but I still don't see everything clearly. Thus, I need to trust him even when I can't see him. That is from Pastor Sandy Adams. And if you want to click on to my blog, the link to my blog is in the show notes. You can check out his full um, message on this chapter. So who do you say Jesus is? First, let's look at the wrong answers. Keep in mind the time and place. Caesarea Philippi was a Gentile pagan area. It's where the Romans worshipped the god Pan. So those who said that Jesus was John the Baptist didn't see John's, John's forerunner status. They saw John as a moral reformer. So if you want to dig deeper on this, you can look at the lessons that I've done on Luke chapter 1, Matthew chapter 3, and John chapter 1. Click on over to my blog. Link's in the show notes. The ones who said he was a prophet, the prophet Elijah, 
had an eschatological or end times view. In the Old Testament, Elijah didn't die. He was raptured. And I've done a lesson on that too. Uh, in fact, Elijah's story is pretty good, and especially also his, his successor, Elisha. It was also implied that he'd come back to announce the coming Messiah. That's John's job. The Jews were waiting for Elijah, but they didn't see John as him. Jews today are still waiting for Elijah. I think he's going to be one of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. However, I won't be here to find out. I'll be raptured. And you really don't want to be left behind to find out either. If you want to know what that's going to be like, click on over to my blog. Lastly, they say that Jesus is one of the other prophets. The thing is, is all the Old Testament prophets prophesied about the coming Messiah, Jesus. Um, I, I dug up a quote from C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. If you ever read that book, that's a really interesting book to read. And um, I am an affiliate with um, Christian Books. So if you want to click on my blog, you can order it. Wasn't too expensive. It was under fifteen dollars. But and this is a quote: "Liar, lunatic, or Lord." So I'm quoting C.S. Lewis. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying that real, the really foolish thing that people often say about him—that is Christ. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can't shut him up for a fool. You can't, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Again, that is a quote by C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. <clears throat> now, Peter gets it right. Jesus is the Christ. That's that's the Greek word for Messiah, which is the Hebrew word for the anointed one, the son of the living God. Notice that Mark keeps to the point. It doesn't say what Matthew says, Matthew 16. If you want to check that out, click on over to my blog. But that's the passage that the Roman Catholic Church twists into making you think that Peter was the first pope, which he was not. And if you want to know the truth about Peter, again, click on over to my blog. I did a deep dive on that, on who invented the whole thing about Peter being the Pope. But Jesus then tells them not to say anything, to keep quiet. Why is that? Well, here's what the Jews thought Jesus was going to do. He, they, he was going to come uh, bring or raise up an army to destroy the Gentiles, the Romans, then restore the kingdom to its Davidic glory, that's King David. Um, and then ancient writings found in Qumran said that the Messiah would kill the Roman emperor. Okay, so telling people would cause some major chaos. The Messiah must suffer and die. Okay, this was prophesied, Isaiah 53 for one. They didn't get that this was all part of the Messiah's mission. 
No one could stop Jesus from giving his life on the cross to take away our sins. Why did Jesus call Peter Satan? It's because that's where the idea came from. Paul explains Jesus' sacrifice. Romans 3, starting in verse 29. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. That was Romans 3, um, starting verse 25, 25 to 26. Now in Romans 5, verse 9, Paul wrote, And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. And then in Ephesians 1, 7, Paul wrote, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son and forgave our sins. Then Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 19, Paul writes, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And if you want to dig deeper, again, click on open to my blog and click where it says, Why did Jesus have to die? So what is the cost of following Jesus? The cross. It was the Roman instrument of cruelty, torture, and death. Jesus died on the cross, taking our sins away. Three days later, he defeated death by rising from the grave, which is what we're going to be um, celebrating in Easter or Resurrection Sunday. To truly follow Jesus, you must deny yourself. That's your old self. In Luke's version, he adds the word daily. That means that each day you must die to your old life. See, every day Satan is going to tempt you to go back to that life, whether it's with a thought, a person, a TV show, a billboard, etc. When you surrender your life to Jesus and follow him, you identify with Christ. You must say goodbye to your old life and live in your new life with Jesus. And Paul wrote in Romans 6, uh, verse 8, and since we died with Christ, we know we also live with him. And if you want to dig deeper, I've done studies on Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15. Now, Pastor Danny Saavedra um, from the lesson in the YouVersion Bible app, he explains what Jesus wants from his followers. Okay, first, deny yourself. The Greek word for deny is aparanesto. It means to disown, disregard, to refuse or reject. To deny yourself means to deny your self-lordship, to refuse to recognize yourself as the Lord of your life. It's surrendering lordship of your life over to him, not in most areas, but in every area, and committing every facet of your life to Christ fully and daily. Take up your cross. When a criminal carried his cross through the streets, his life was essentially over. 
Here, Jesus is calling us to think of ourselves as having died to our old selves, to bury all of our worldly, worldly desires and dreams, all the plans and agendas we've made for ourselves. Why? Because our new life is not about us. It's about living for him, in him, and by him. That's Jesus. The directive is proclaiming our need to be willing to surrender anything and everything in order to be his disciple. On the surface, this may not sound like fun, but the undeniable truth of humanity is this. Our ways, paths, and plans are flawed, limited, and often dominated by pride, selfish ambition, and sinful desires. But his plan for us is perfect. His plan is always better for us than our plans. His plan will always lead to greater joy, peace, purpose, strength, wisdom, and fulfillment. His plan is always for our good and his glory. So when you take that proper pers perspective, how could you not want to surrender your own agenda, which is formulated and fashioned within the heart and mind of an imperfect, limited sinner? Yes, that's you and me. It's who we are and submit to his perfect will. Wow. Lose your life for my sake. This is where the cost analysis comes in. We truly find the life we were created for when we surrender the life we have now to Jesus. As Jim Elliott once said, he's a famous missionary, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. How do we lose ourselves? By investing all that we are and have in him and his gospel, by saying yes, by saying to Jesus, Lord, here's my life, home, family, checkbook, career, gifts, talents, brain, heart, hands, feet, mouth, desires, ambitions, and world. It's all yours. Use it all. Use all of me to glorify yourself and advance your kingdom and your purposes here on earth. The cost is essentially lordship of your life. But what do we get? Everything. We get Jesus as Lord. And with that, we gain true life, eternal life in heaven. Freedom, purpose, meaning, truth, comfort, wisdom, peace, joy, value, strength, security, hope, and real love. We must all count the cost. Being his disciple is costly, but so worth it. Are you all in? Again, that's from Danny Saavedra in the lesson, the Gospel of Mark, part four, from the Version Bible app. The question is now, are you all in? Well, here's what you need to do. Believe, have faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and he died taking your sins away forever on the cross and that he rose from the dead three days later. Repent of your sins that have stopped sinning to a complete 180 degree turn in your life and surrender your life to him. Be baptized by water baptism. Show the world and yourself that you have died to your old life and are born again in Christ. Receive the Holy Spirit in your heart. So what are you waiting for? Invite Jesus into your heart and receive the gift of grace and the confident hope of eternal life. If you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, 
There's a prayer in the show notes, or you can click on over my blog, click where it says, how to invite Jesus into your heart. And at the bottom of today's blog, I have an, uh, an oldie but a goodie by Michael W. Smith, Open the Eyes of My Heart, and then one that I heard today called Gyra, which means the Lord provides. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Thank you for listening to this episode. I pray that the Holy Spirit, the author of Scripture, touched your heart to reveal the gospel truth that our hope of salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to reach out to me via my website or social media. I encourage you to read the Bible daily and seek the truth for yourself. I recommend that you download two free Bible study apps, the YouVersion Bible app and Through the Word. Friends, we are living in strange, crazy times, the last days, the end times. But know that things aren't falling apart, they are falling into place. Jesus said in Revelation 3, 20-22, Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Jesus is knocking. It's up to you to open the door. Peter told us in 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed or perish, but wants everyone to repent. Jesus is coming back soon. Are you ready? Repent of your sins and invite Jesus into your heart right now. If you don't know what to say, there's a prayer in the show notes and on my blog. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it and then the end will come. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory.